grace to you and peace from God our Father, and from our Lord and our risen living Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to be taking a look at this subject matter, faith over the fear of life's final moments. And you know, I don't really want this to be a gloom and doom kind of a message of, you're all going to die, don't be afraid. You know, I, I get it. It's not a subject that, that maybe even you like to do around the supper table in the intimacy of your family. You know, I, I, I get that. You know, mom and dad say to the kids that are gathered around the table, you know, we want to talk about what happens when, we're, when we pass. No, no, don't talk that way. We don't want to hear it. As though that's going to make it all go away, right? If we talk about it from God's perspective, this doesn't have to be such a scary thing. God does not want our death as his children to be something that we're afraid of. And, and so we're going to turn to something. First uh, John, the, the one disciple that lived to a ripe old age of his upper 90s, and he writes to some Christians that are really struggling because they're being told that there's no such thing as the resurrection. And, and he's trying to um, comfort them and encourage them and take their fears away in this matter. So this is from 1 John chapter 5. If we accept the testimony of people, God's testimony is even greater because it is the testimony that God gave about his son. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you remember when you're really little, one of the first songs that your Sunday school, preschool, or kindergarten teacher taught you? Jesus loves me, this I think. Oh no, that's not right. Jesus loves me, this I wish. Jesus loves me, this I hope. No, none of those are right. Jesus loves me, this I know. It is certain possession. God wants us to be able to face even life's final moments knowing that you have eternal life. That it's not a maybe or a hope so, but it's certain. Let's just stop for a moment and say a prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, please bless the words of my mouth and the devotion of everyone's heart tonight. May they be acceptable in your sight, for you are our mighty rock and our redeemer from sin, and you are the resurrection and the life. And whoever lives and believes in you will never perish but have eternal life. Lord, help us to know that in the very fiber of our being that we can even face life's final moments fearless because you gained the victory for us. Amen. 
Okay, I, I, I guess here's where I want to start. Let's talk about that serious subject. Maybe you've not faced death yet. Maybe you've not had a loved one yet seriously face death. And, and maybe you've had great grandmas and grandpas or grandmas and grandpas die or your parents. But maybe for you, this is the kind of the farthest thing from your agenda, right? But I'm going to honestly ask you, have you had that conversation or at least in your own mind thought about it? What if God sent you an angel? And I, I always picture God's angel's going to show up to me, and he's going to have this brown fedora on, you know, he's going to be really smartly dressed, and, and he's going to meet me on the street someplace, a crowded street, you know, like think Fourth of July parade, right? And then all of a sudden he's going to approach me and he's going to say, hi, Mark, I'm here for you. And then, like, in only dreams or visions can do, all of a sudden the crowd just disappears and it's just me and the angel. What do you mean you're here for me? I take people to their eternal home. I've thought about this a little bit because I, I, I know maybe you can relate to this, but my first reaction is, is that I'm going to bargain because I'm not ready, right? No, I'm not ready to die. No, 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 I've got so many things to do. And maybe it's the suddenness and the unawareness of it, you know, that I, I really, it came up on me so unexpected, I can't go right now. I'd probably say, look, I'm ready to go, but could you give me 24 hours? Because you know that there's this voice inside of me that says there are so many things I got to make right yet. There, there are cold-hearted and hot-tempered people that I've not gotten along with in life. And instead of killing them with kindness like God tells me to, heap coals of ashes on their head by loving them to death, I never did. I ignored them or I rejected them or I got ticked off at them. And I, I just need to go give those people a hug first. Or I need to be able to tell Marilyn how much I love her and how grateful I am that she, she just must have descended with the angels, you know, to put up with me for 40 plus years. Or I need to have the time to write my kids a letter and pray with them and say, stay strong, trust Christ. I need to find that homeless beggar and just give him my wallet because I can't take it with me. What good is it going to do me? I need to mend fences. There are some of those people that, man, we were like oil and water, right? And I need to go and say, I'm sorry because I played a part. Give me that 24 hours and then I'll be ready to go. Maybe. Maybe you have a lot of reasons too that makes you afraid to die. Unfinished business, relationships that need mending, words that need to be spoken that should be spoken every day. There are a lot of people who are afraid of dying for all kinds of reasons. And, and really, whose testimony will you listen to? That's what John is getting at. 
We sometimes listen to the testimony of people, and, and in a court setting, we get that. They're witnesses. We listen to what they've said so we can form an opinion and form a belief and form a value on the basis of that. But some people, you've got to be careful that you don't listen to. Maybe better would be to listen to God rather than what great-grandma and grandpa passed down to you or Aunt Sally or the pastor. I, I told you 20 years ago, don't you dare believe anything I say because I say it. I'm a sinful human being that puts my pants on the same way in the morning as everybody else. But if God says it, then you can trust it and you can bank on it and you can be certain about it. That's John's point here. So, wow. Let's start where we're supposed to start. Whose testimony will make you fearless in life's final moments? Now, I'm going to kind of bounce back and forth, but in ancient times and in modern times, there are voices that want our attention to give us a testimony, right? Death is to be feared most because it appears to be the end of everything. Aristotle, right? The wisdom of the wise, a great philosopher in Greek culture, uh, and, and he basically says, man, death is the ultimate be afraid. Be very afraid. You don't want to die, right? And how many times we see that depicted in the movies? I don't want to die. Death removes all meaning from life. A very famous French philosopher, Jean-Paul Sartre. Death removes all meaning from life. All along, I'm trying to live life with purpose and with meaning. And I hear this a lot from millennials. Not that I'm trying to be negative, but, you know, I want to do something meaningful. I want to impact people's lives. I want to make a difference in my world. And death just takes that all away. What's the use? Why try to make a difference in the world if I'm going to die anyway and it's all going to be over? Nobody's going to remember me. Death is a narrow veil between the cold and barren peaks of two eternities. We strive in vain to look beyond the heights. Robert Greene Ingersoll was a very famous American agnostic. In other words, he said, there may be the possibility that there's a God, but I don't know him. He spoke these words at his brother's funeral. Death is a narrow veil or valley between cold and barren peaks of two eternities. We strive in vain... There's nothing beyond that peak, and there's nothing beyond that peak, so here we are stuck in the middle. Cold, arctic, gray, depressing language, isn't it? I am going to the great perhaps, Francois Rabelais, another French philosopher. He said, this, this was his final sentence, by the way, on his deathbed. I'm going to the great perhaps. Can you imagine facing with that kind of an attitude your death or your deathbed, your final moments, and you're going, I have no clue if there's anything out there. If there is, I'm going to kind of leave an opening, but I'm going to go to the great perhaps. My, how much that spurs confidence, yes? The dread of something after death, the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns. If you had to take English lit like I did and had to read some of Shakespeare's plays, this is the way Shakespeare described the afterlife in his Hamlet. Right? And, and you know, Shakespeare often disguised his own feelings and own beliefs in the words of his plays. Look at what he says. 
the dread of something after death. Not the joy or anticipation, the hope, but the dread of something after death. The undiscovered country from who's born no trap. No one comes back from the grave. No one comes back from the grave. In other words, there's, there ain't no resurrection. There is no life after death. There's nothing to look forward to. So if you're not afraid of dying, you should be. That was... In all that beautiful Shakespearean Elizabethan English, that was the hidden gem, right? And maybe, even among some of you sitting in these chairs, maybe there's some of that for you. Uncertainty. Dark feelings about dying. A little bit hopeless. Certainly not unicorns and rainbows, sunshine and roses, right? Does it get any better if we, if we turn away from the wisdom of the wise and all the philosophers who, who try to provide answers to these deep, deep questions? My question is, what religious or cultural testimony removes fear? Certainly we can get some help from them to take fear away, right? Maybe, maybe the, the fellows that Jesus engaged in his day would be a solution for us. That, that would be right, wouldn't? Or maybe today, from either religion or culture, we'd find some help with this matter of facing our last end. In Acts chapter 23, Paul makes a, a testimony and then a reaction. A dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection or angel or spirit, but the Pharisees believe in them all. Now these are the religious leaders of the people of God, the children of Israel. And they were divided on the subject. The Sadducees only believed in the first, only used the first five books of the Bible, right? The Pentateuch. Uh, they rejected the whole notion of a resurrection. They basically said, you know, it's a one-way trip. There's no outlet to the cul-de-sac. Uh, there's no pardon. There's no parole. There's no getting out for good behavior. Once you die, you die. And that's it. Right? The Pharisees, on the other hand, that branch of Judaism said, oh, yes, there's a resurrection, but not a physical one. It's maybe a spiritual resurrection, you know, that, that great fathers in the faith like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they would live on for eternity in the faith of God's people. And you know what? I got to tell you, it, it hurts me as a pastor when I hear people say things like this at funerals. She was such a dear soul. She'll live on in our hearts forever. Is that comforting to you? I would rather be able to say, I know my mom is in heaven because she trusted Jesus as her savior. Not here, but there at his side, according to his promise, his testimony, his promise, his word. The, 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 the religion of the Pharisees is, you know, possibly if you live a good enough life and do works of righteousness and works of penitence, then maybe perhaps you will live on in memorial and be idolized by the people of Judah. You know, for the, for the Sadducees, Ecclesiastes 9.5 reminded me of their faith, right? The living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, Right? Just imagine uh, of the religious people of the day that they give you no comfort. 
What if, what if you listen to a church or a church body that tells you you need to do enough good works? You need to do enough works of repentance. You need to belong to the right church. Or you know what? You really can't be baptized or you really can't be married or you really can't be saved outside of this church. Like Roman Catholicism. And I'm not saying that they don't preach Jesus. But it's, it's not the church's language and dictates that saves us. It's the gospel message of Jesus Christ and him crucified alone. Or what if we go and, and talk about achieving the seven pillars of, of uh, Muhammad or, or reaching karma or, or going into the afterlife with Hinduism and having transmigration of souls. There's so much in, in the world of religion that doesn't really take any fear away. Right? Think about that if you were a Hindu. Have I been good enough to become someone better in the next life? Or have I been such a schmuck I'm going to end up being a tsetse fly? Right? We never know. It's all up to us. On my deathbed, I want to be able to say, I don't deserve heaven, but it's been gifted to me. John said it, the gift of eternal life has been given to you in Christ Jesus. No ifs, no ands, no buts about it. Don't be afraid. Be careful whose testimony you listen to. The culture that Jesus engaged was not much better. The Greek culture, and you know, with the university system and the philosophers that were there, you know, they had the, the greatest wisdom. Jesus said they searched for wisdom. For ancient groups, the map of death included the river Styx and the boatman Sharon. Upon death, the soul of the individual would be ferried across the river and released into a sunless afterlife of bodiless spirits, shades, and shadows. Doesn't that make you just want to die? And by the way, that was only for those who received a proper Greek burial. You remember what they would do? Oh, no. They would take the gold coins and put them on their eyelids. That was the cost and, and the tradition, the myth was, that that was the, what paid Sharon for ferrying them across the river and getting to, them, to this gray, bodiless, soulless place. That don't take no fear out of death for me. I don't know about y'all, right? Epicurus, Greek philosopher, lived a couple hundred years after Jesus. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. Why be afraid of dying? You're made for now, right? I'll meet you at the bar, right? Let's have a good time. Let's blow it all out now because after death, there's nothing. Here's maybe my favorite. My idea of heaven is a great big baked potato and someone to share it with. Compliments of Oprah Winfrey, right? Cultural, spiritual, elite wisdom, right? And I, I'm not trying to knock Oprah, but... Bottom line is, there are so many testimonies and so many voices that beckon for us to listen to. This is basically what I'm saying, I don't want to think about it. I don't know. I'm not willing to trust my eternal salvation into the soul or into the hands of a Jewish carpenter. So I'm just going to make up my own vision and that'll take the sting of death all away. God would have us really get serious about this question as to whose 
what testimony does God provide to, to make us fearless? So now we're going to get to that point of John, listening to the testimony of God about his son. I like this from Isaiah. You know, we sometimes think of um, death being the cemetery, which is the dominion of the grim reaper, right? Oh, scary guy with the hood and the skeleton face and the bony fingers. The cemetery is not the end. The, the cemetery is the domain of the soul keeper. Listen to what God says. But your dead ones will live. Their dead bodies will rise. Not might, not could. They will. Wake up and do, do you see the sense of joy here upon death? Right? What a re thing to rejoice over. I get to be with Jesus in heaven and enjoy eternal life. Wake up and sing for joy, you who dwell in the dust, because your dew will glisten like morning light and the earth will give up the spirits of the dead. An absolute blessing. Jesus knew that there was a troublesome spirit in his disciples when he talked about the fact that he was going to die. He knew that none of us have ever gone through it before. There's no blueprint for it. I get it. Am I afraid of dying in that earthly sense of I've never died before? I've had carpal tunnel surgery. I've broken my arm. I've had ruptured biceps tendency. I've had torn ligaments in my ankle. There's a lot of stuff I've had. That I can tell you. Don't be afraid. I survived it. But I ain't never died before. I can't tell you not be afraid. But... Look what Jesus says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with where I am. Our Western ears do not pick up on the wedding imagery in this text we all know this is John chapter 14, where Jesus comforts his disciples the last couple days of his life, right? And we love these words. But you can bet your bar mitzvah that the hearers in Jesus' day knew that he was talking about a wedding. That was custom. A bride and a groom would get engaged. Um, the, the husband would go home, make and prepare a place, and then when it was everything was ready, he would come and get her and walk her, you know, new name, new celebration, everything was wonderful. That's what God says death is like for us. When you and I die, Jesus is going to meet us at the altar. He's the groom, right? We're the bride. And he's going to take our arm and he's going to lead us down that altar with a new name and a new existence and a new adventure in existence, if you will, eternal life to our new home that's been prepared just for us. Nothing to be afraid of. You know that it's so hard to comprehend that for Jesus, in his eyes, a funeral and a death has the same hope level and joy level that a wedding does. You ever planned a wedding in your home and know what that's like? We planned two of them for our daughters, right? I didn't really do much of the planning. Marilyn and the girls did, right? But I smiled and I nodded and I wrote checks, right? But the, the excitement of the church was reserved, the preacher was on deck, you know, the invitations had all been sent out. There is such a high level of joy with that, 
How do we miss that with our deaths? That my Savior is personally coming to get me to take me home to be with him forever. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Be filled with joy. St. Paul picked up on this message when he was dealing with the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 15, they were, they were upset and troubled by all kinds of rumors about what does or doesn't happen when you die. He says, you also are being saved by that gospel I preached to you. And he summarizes it. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus did it all. He lived a perfect life in our place. He died our death and took our suffering in our place and paid for our sins. He did truly die and was buried in the grave, right? He didn't just pretend. And he rose again from the dead to prove that death has been conquered and that as he was victorious, we will be victorious. Now he goes on and he says, and just in case you don't want to believe that little testimony, he says, and he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, And then to the 12, after that, he appeared to over 500 brothers at the same time, most of whom are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared also to me. This is Paul, or God, through Paul saying, if testimony is important, and hearing my testimony is is even more important and greater, then you better clear your calendars and you better get ready to listen. Because I've got hundreds of people that have seen and can testify that Jesus rose from the dead. You know, if one person says, I saw Jesus alive, you know, he's a little delusional, right? If you get 10 or 12, you think, ah, mass hysteria. Mm. But hundreds, scores upon scores upon scores that saw Jesus alive and heard him promise and they saw him with their own eyes, a factual, physical resurrection. When he appeared to his disciples in the upper room, he said, see my hands and my feet? Here, give me something to eat. It it is I myself, not a spirit, not a ghost, right? When Mary saw him in the garden, she called him sir because he appeared like a normal, usual human being. When he walked with those disciples on the way to Emmaus, his feet kept clomping on the ground and he was walking along. They didn't have a clue until what? Their eyes were open that he was anything other than a normal, usual man, right? When he was cooking fish on the shoreline for the disciples and they had breakfast with him, he was as real as real could be. And he will use his power, just as we heard, he will use that power that he can bring all things under his control to change our vile, sin-filled, sin-tainted bodies that die and go to dust, and he will resurrect them and make them glorified, equipped for eternal existence. Trust the testimony. Paul says, so also in Christ, they will all be made alive, no exceptions. I'm not talking to the left side of the room. I'm not talking to the right side of the room. They will all be made alive. That includes you. Your name is on that list in that book of life. Each in his own order. Christ is the first fruits and then Christ's people at his coming. There's a natural order. Let's keep it simple. He died and rose again so that you could have the proof of the empty grave in Joseph's lovely garden. 
this passage is so critical. Through death, he could destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. The devil brought death into the world through temptation and sin. The wages of sin is death. We're all going to die. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But he did this to free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Right? Every one of us, natural instinct is to quake at death because it reminds us that we are sinners. But we're forgiven sinners. I've often told Marilyn, I said, that's really all I want on my headstone. You don't even have to put my name there. Just forgiven. My death will be the testimony as to who I really was, a sinner. But my resurrection is the proof of who Jesus made of me. A forgiven soul equipped to be with him forever, one that's going to be attached to my, to my heavenly bridegroom for eternity. That's why God spoke through John for you that you can die fearlessly with courage and content. You know, when you feel like you're going, and I've always said, I think people know when it gets to the end. You're going to go through those prayers and you're going to thank God for all the blessings he gave you. You'll recount his grace upon grace that he shared with you. You'll thank him for his best gift, his son Jesus. But I pray that you'll also thank him because you know, you know what's waiting for you. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Amen. Thank you.